Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Where has all the time gone? I can't believe that October is over, uh, but it is. It's November 4th, 2019. It's almost the end of the year. Before I know it, I'll be saying December's here. It's almost Christmas. So this is episode 125, which is another milestone for us, trying to get to those 25 markers, 25, 50, 75, and and soon 200, I guess 75 more episodes till, but uh, we hope to get there. And uh, so today, in just a few moments, we're going to speak to James Lackey, maybe a familiar name to you, and we're going to talk about Halloween. But before we get to that and what I mean by that and what we're going to discuss, uh, I wanted to mention something else about Halloween. On the last episode, I have done what I've done for the past few years. I've mentioned different ideas for you to be able to reach out to your community, to reach out to your neighborhood in a different way. And Mike Morsey actually sent me a message, and, and maybe a familiar name if you listened back when I was doing podcasts on General Conference. I met Mike and his wife at General Conference, and I know he had listened to the show pre- prior to that because we had interacted. He had sent some information over about the show, uh, you know, some some feedback, and had actually donated towards, you know, the booth and, and things like that at, at General Conference. But all that aside, Mike contacted me uh, after Halloween, and he tried the idea that I talked about last week, which was set up a, a K-cup maker, you know, set up a, a Keurig, and when parents come up to with their kids, offer free coffee. It's often cold in a lot of these areas in the evening time. It's always nice to have that option to bring in the parents and not just the kids. So he tried it, and he mentioned, you know, they live uh, by the church, and they live in an older neighborhood, so there were only a few trick-or-treaters at their location. Um, but he said the few who did come really enjoyed it, and he had the inspiration to next year try one of the church members' homes who lives in a more active neighborhood, try to just uh, you know reach out to a larger crowd that way. Um, but thanks, Mike, for being willing to try that out, and I hope that other people... Um, we're able to reach their neighbors or kind of uh, uh, meet some new people in a new way instead of just, you know, here's some candy, see you later, and there's your parents at the end of the drive. Uh, but hopefully you've been inspired um, to do something different, and I, I think um, Mike, it sounds, was was even in the small response in his neighborhood, in that older neighborhood that he had, he's now been inspired to, hey, maybe, maybe I'll try uh, one of the church members and kind of reach out that way next year. So um, anyways, we'll get back to a Halloween um, theme and a Halloween conversation here in just a few moments. But before we do that, I wanted to offer up a few things for prayer. Uh, the first is 
um, I was reading some of the information via the Missions Hotline newsletter, and maybe some of you received this. This is the one that was sent out on October 29th, just a few days ago. And uh, one of the the things that um, we've been talking about for some time on this show, of course, we've checked back in with the Set Free Movement time and time again, talked to Kevin and others. But back on episode 21, one of our first episodes, actually, um, in the first, you know, of course, several weeks, um, <laughs> several, but in the first 21 weeks, exactly. The 21st week, um, 21th, 21st week. I don't know what I'm doing this morning. I'm, I'm a little tired. <laughs> the 21st week. Uh, no, on the 21st episode, we talked to uh, individuals from Eden's Glory. And you'll remember this is connected to the Set Free Movement in that they have a home uh, where women who are coming out of human trafficking, women who have been victims in human trafficking, can actually live in this home. And they call this whole residential ministry Eden's glory. And Ginger Coakley, I believe, was the one who spoke to us on that episode about this. Uh, well, I found out in the Missions Hotline newsletter from just a few days ago that Eden's glory is looking for a new house for the ministry. So, of course, this is a, a big change. This is um, something that, that doesn't say the reasoning why they're looking for a new house. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of good reasons. Maybe it's to, to open up new beds. Maybe it's to, you know, the location isn't working out. I don't know. Uh, but we do need to be praying about that because this is a vital thing. Uh, of course, this is the, the most vital piece of that ministry to be able to have a home um, where they can offer for, for women to, to have that physical, spiritual, emotional healing that they need. And again, if you've never heard of Eden's Glory, if this is something new to you, um, make sure that you go back. Listen to episode 21 back in the in the uh, archives of the show. Uh, also, you can go to edensglory.org, and this is a free Methodist ministry. Uh, so this is something cool that you may not have known existed, uh, but it is one of those many, many things out there that there are just so many ministries and so many different free Methodist uh, individuals who are doing amazing things. That That's one reason we started this podcast, to be able to start to explore and share some of these ideas, see different people from different vantage points. Um, and so uh, definitely take a look into Eden's Glory if you haven't already and be praying for them that they can hopefully get this new house. And then secondly, uh, as we always do, we want to look at our Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide. And today for November 4th, it says to pray for Thailand and Myanmar. So today is um, Hlan Han Van Tiffen's birthday, and so we are praying for Seth and Luan Juan Van Tiffen as they continue their language studies. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide them as they seek to minister effectively in Thailand and Myanmar through the ministry of In Better Hands. That's the name of the ministry. Pray more doors will be open to establish free Methodist churches in both countries, Thailand and Myanmar. So let's go ahead and pray uh, for their ministry. Dear God, we pray for the Van Tiflin family, and um, we thank you for the language studies they've already had, and we pray that they would uh, keep in mind all of the things that they've been taught and that they would continue to build upon those things. Um, we pray that the Holy Spirit would 
uh, guide the both of them as they are trying to minister in both of these countries here, Thailand and Myanmar. And um, I'm just, I don't know a whole lot about Myanmar specifically, but I know if it's like a lot of other countries, there's going to be different cultures, there's going to be different types of people as they go from country to country. So we just pray that um, you would be with the possible culture differences that they could, you know, learn one from the other and, and kind of figure out what will best work in each of these scenarios, each of these places, what will work best in Thailand, what will work best in Myanmar. Um, and we just pray that uh, more doors would be opened to establish even more free Methodist churches than are previously than, than are currently established. Um, and that both of these countries would continue to grow in not just converts for you, but true disciples, not just a one-time prayer, but that they would be um, full-time disciples of you coming out of both of these countries and that uh, the Van Tiflins would be able to see um, this amazing work that is being done and that it would encourage them to, to dive even deeper into more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and um, transition into our interview for today with James Lackey. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can Sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Okay, well, we're here with someone who should be familiar if you've been listening to the show for a long time. Back on episode 82, we were able to pull back the mystery. We were able to unmask social media's BT Roberts. And of course, I'm talking about the infamous Mr. James Lackey, and he is here with us again today. James, thanks for coming on with us again. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, I uh, well, I saw uh, something that you put on Twitter the other day. And I thought, this is a good follow-up for this time of year. And now, when I, when I actually post this episode, it will be after Halloween. Um, so, you know, this will be some information for some people for the next year, I guess. But um, it's close enough that it's a good time to discuss this um, and and kind of have this conversation. So the I'll, I'll put out there, first of all, what it was that you said. You said, uh, Halloween is a Christian holiday. Now... Most people, I think, would just see it as a neither here nor there. They'd say, well, Halloween, just kind of dumb. You dress up in costumes, get free candy, whatever. There are, of course, other Christians that are a little more strict that say, oh, we don't celebrate Halloween. They've called it, you know, the devil's holiday or whatever. Um, so there are different views on it, but I've, I, I know very few people, I should say. It's not any nobody. But I know very few people who have taken the stance to say Halloween is a Christian holiday and to actually mean it. So tell us a little bit about, um, well, I guess we're in the roundabout way, we're going to get to what you meant by that, but tell us a little bit about kind of the origins of Halloween um, and and some of the study that you've done on this. Absolutely. Uh, and, and just part of my own story to begin with, um, I began leading worship. I came to faith at 15. I, I was involved in youth, and I began leading worship 
and I was a worship leader without a lot of uh, theological training. And so I began to dig uh, deep into Christian history and roots because we've been worshiping for 2,000 years and the Jews before that a few more thousand years. And so I just really felt like I was uh, not, I don't know, I was not prepared. I was... uh, taking on the culture that we were given a lot of Chris Tomlin songs. Anyways, to say all that, um, I just started digging into our history and our past. And what I realized was that the Christian church has a a rich history and a calendar and a way of celebrating the year that was different than was given to me growing up, or even that I saw people growing, uh, celebrating in, in our churches. And one of the things I came across was, this idea of Halloween, which I explored more in seminary and, and continue to dive into, uh, Halloween has its roots. Ex- I mean, ex- this is an expressly Christian holiday. We have come up with this thing and have brought it all the way across the world. Uh, before we even get into Halloween, it needs to be said, I think that Christianity has always been uh, enthralled, fascinated, and surrounded by death. Mm. I, I mean, beginning with our own savior who is then raised to life but uh, uh then through periods of persecution we start identifying martyrs and saints and we developed calendars around uh their death days which we believed was their birthday is their real birthday and to, to risen in eternal life uh, we met in catacombs for ages uh, uh, in some ways uh, people consider us a death cult because we have surrounded our religion largely around death, even, like I said, with Good Friday. Hmm. And then when persecution ended, our obsession with death only amplified. We began building our our churches on the places where martyrs were killed, on the tombs of saints before us. We began digging up bones and skeletons and putting them in our churches, and many churches became... Um, destination sites for pilgrims to see the bones and skeletons and skulls of our uh, heroes of our faith. And so uh, in a lot of ways, uh, death is at the center of Christianity, even if only so that we can preach the gospels of new life, of everlasting life, of resurrection life. And then we have to talk about, and maybe it's different for our, our custom and culture as evangelicals and as Protestants, but Christians have almost always prayed for the dead and asked the dead to pray for us. Even in our creeds, which Free Methodists are credo, we believe that, uh, that we, we affirm the communion of the saints, or we can read Hebrews 11 and talk about being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses for most of Christianity there was a thin veil between death and between us. And so um, in making these calendars of saints and martyrs, we often prayed for the dead. We often asked the dead to pray for us. Uh, There began many local celebrations and feasts and prayers. and, And so even before we talk about the official institutions of All Hallows Tide or Halloween or All Saints Day, I mean, we just the biggest names in Christianity are telling us that we need to be thinking about that. We need to be praying for the dead. We need to be um, even having the dead pray for us. Again, we don't normally do that as evangelicals and Protestants, and I'm not advising anyone to do that. I'm just saying, for most of Christianity, this was a very basic practice. 
Hmm. So before you do go into the next step of Holly and stuff, let's just talk a little bit, think a little bit more on that, on these, yeah. on these practices. So like, so, well, there's two things that came to mind. The first is we're, cause we're going to, and we're going to, I know with talking about Halloween, talk even more about the saints, the martyrs, what, yeah. and we've been talking for, for a few weeks now, um, on this show about worship. And so what came to my mind first and foremost is this line that would be easy to cross, and, and some have, um, with worshiping the saints in a sense versus wh- where do you find yourself? How do you, how do you um, admonish or honor a martyr or a saint or kind of look to them and, and kind of hold them up in a sense but not get to the point where we then worship that saint or hold them higher than we should? Yeah, excellent. Um, the church is, has constantly made a, a very... A definitive line between veneration and worship. Um, we we can hold them up as examples. Uh, they are the heroes of our faith. Um, even when uh, we talk about prayer in connection with saints, the people that I do know and the traditions that I do know that that do what we would say pray to the saints. Uh, they would say we believe in the communion of saints, and so we ask them to pray for us, just like I would ask my neighbor to pray for me. I'd ask my pastor to pray for me. I'd ask, um, you know, my small group to pray for me. I'm also asking the saints to pray for me, um, and so they they have drawn these lines. Uh, they, in like I said, in our own traditions of evangelicalism and Protestantism, we 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 don't think that they're very. Uh, definitive we don't think that they're very drawn out very well and so we tend to avoid them um Mm -hmm. or push them away we clearly see this in martin luther and even even more so in john calvin who gets upset about these kinds of things but if you go all the way back even to augustine uh he he is drawing some very hard lines between uh what it means to pray for the dead uh, versus some of the Roman practices of deifying um, neighbors and spouses and parents who passed on. Um, it, it all has to do with being in Christ and being found in Christ and being uh, part of Christ's body. And so if for Augustine, he brings it all the way back to Jesus always and, and therefore makes it not about what the Romans were doing Hercules or anything like that. It had more to do with uh, honoring Jesus and the dead that are found in Jesus. And so, so for Augustine, it's about Jesus. And for us, it's about Jesus. Uh, of course, we'd never, uh, ever venture into worshiping anything other than Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but we have these <laughs> historical ancient practices that affirm the cloud of witnesses and the communion of saints um, and so navigating this is, is going to be difficult and new for many of us and spooky, but it's all there present in our faith. Hmm. So, so the second part, and you mentioned it again, just a little bit, but let's, let's go even deeper. So it may, um, you already kind of went further on the asking the saints, what, the, what they meant when they said asking the saints to pray for us. So, and I, again, like you, it's exactly like you said, you know, evangelicals in my, in my own growing up in, you know, the evangelical Presbyterian church and the free Methodist church and all these, you know, assemblies of God. 
that was something that, you know, oh, well, that's what Catholics do, but we never really looked into it, thought about it even. And it's it's exactly for the reasons that you talked about. But it's the, the belief behind that would be, you know, you ask people who are alive right now to pray for you. So you also would ask, you know, these people who are still living on, maybe even in, in ways, in, in many ways, greater than uh, the ways that we're alive now, you're asking them to pray for you. So that's the thought behind that. But what about the, the second aspect of the prayer? Um, what was their belief or what was their thought for praying for the saints? I mean, what would that achieve? What would we be praying for them about? Yeah, excellent. And um, uh, this jumps ahead a little bit to um, All Souls Day. Um, Odilo of Cluny was uh, uh, an abbot of a major of a major monastery in, in like the 10 hundreds. We're talking like medieval Europe. He's in the middle of France and he invents this thing called all souls day, which is November 2nd. And for him praying for the dead and having his monks pray for the dead. Uh, these were different than the saints. These were different. So we believe in the church triumphant. These are people that have are living with Jesus and, um, triumphantly and we are currently the church militaristic we're the boots on the ground right now um but there was a, a third class for our catholic brothers and sisters uh, we would disagree with this theology uh but there's a third class of folks who are in purgatory who are suffering for their sins and so adilo of Cluny, uh the sabbath he, he instructs his monks to be praying for the dead um as they suffer and as they're on their way to heaven, as they're on their way to um, to becoming the church triumphant, again, as I said, we don't have a theology of purgatory. It's something we've expressly let go of since, you know, the 1500s and the Reformation. Yeah. And so what that has turned into for us, uh, well, we don't. We don't pray for the dead, but what that has turned that celebration of All Saints Day has turned into us is not remembering the heroes and the saints that's for november 1st but just remembering our own family and friends who love jesus and who have passed away it's just become a day of remembrance uh and saying their names and uh eating the foods they loved and uh celebrating the fact that they're with jesus and they're in heaven and they're uh, rooting for us as far as we talk about praying for the dead or asking the dead to pray for us, I take a line uh, from N.T. Wright, uh, who is a you know Anglican bishop. He says, "I don't think the dead do anything for us, and so uh, he doesn't pray. He doesn't ask them to pray for him, and I don't ask the dead to pray for me. Right. Uh, but I do want to live into the mystery of our faith that we are surrounded by these this communion of saints, and and, and somehow and in some way." Uh, they're present in worship. They're uh, rooting for us. Um, yeah. We tend to be more uh, Protestant, and John Calvin wanted to make sure that we sought Jesus alone as the only mediator of our faith, and we do, and we think that's very important. But we also still affirm the communion of saints and the cloud of witnesses, and so living in that mystery is hard for us. Yeah, and that's a good word for it there that you've used, mystery of, you know, and that happens with a lot of things. When people feel uncomfortable, they feel a little discomfort, I, I don't quite understand that, just avoid it. And it's the same way with the whole book of Revelation. It's like, you know, I don't know what that's all about, those metaphors. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just not even going to read that. I don't need to read that part. Yes. Yeah, there's two things we do. We either totally avoid it or we try to totally systematize it and make it 
you know, innocuous and it, it, it just kind of loses its power. But there's there's just something about it, you know, that, that we need to just kind of live in the tension of I don't understand, but I affirm it and we believe it. And so uh, what does that mean for our lives? And uh, that's something that we get to live out the, the rest of our days. Right. And, and, you know, apart from history and apart from what the early church did, you know, to use those quotes that you've just used, you know, the the witness, um, the, the great, what don't they see, you know, those types of things. Um, and and we may even, um, you know, it's it's interesting because we know all all Christians would would kind of affirm that God sees us all the time. He, he sees us no matter what we're doing. But for some reason, I think for for a lot of people, if they actually took into account that it's possible their their loved ones who are in heaven are watching them all the time, that that may cause them to think twice about some sins that they do, even more than knowing that God sees. For some reason, I don't know why that is, but just that personal connection, that personal touch, I guess, uh, of the family yeah. member. Um, but yeah. there's a lot of implications. Absolutely. Sometimes uh, my grandmother uh, is scarier than you know. I, I know my grandmother and I know the looks that she's given me. I'm still growing in my relationship with my heavenly father, but my earthly grandmother uh, is near and dear. And those facial expressions uh, are still etched into my brain. And so there's sometimes I think about her in relation to my own walk in the faith as well. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about Halloween itself, and let's talk about some of that stuff. So we, we kind of have this down now, this idea of the historical practice of remembering the saints, and there were variations of, of how people did that. But So tell us a little bit about now kind of Halloween and how this all be, all started. Yeah, excellent. And so there were lots of local celebrations going on of the saints. Um, and there were even some days where they would pray for all saints. Uh, May 13th was one of them that was going around for a while. And then in the mid 700s, the Pope at the time, uh, he changed and initiated a kind of a, a church wide all saints day. Uh, yeah. For the church to be praying uh, and thinking and remembering the dead of the faith. Um, that gets canonized, uh, and then a hundred years later, about it gets moved to November first mm. uh, to what we currently have today. So the eight hundreds, we get things kind of lining up with what we have uh, in modern day times. Halloween is a contraction of words. Hallow means saint. They are synonyms. We pray this right. Uh, Hallowed be thy name. When we pray the Lord's prayer, mm -hmm. it means holy. It comes. From the Germanic holic, we get it when we transliterate and when we translate the the Latin sanctificare, and so we're really talking about holy and we're talking about saints, and so All Saints Day it could also be called All Hallows Day, and the night before would be the evening before we have things like Christmas Eve, the night before All Saints Day was All Hallows Eve, um, we lose the V. We get an apostrophe, uh, we lose the S, and it becomes Halloween. Halloween comes from Hollow's Evening. Um, and so Halloween, I mean, even the word, this is a Christian celebration where Christians for, I don't know, the last 1,200 years would gather on October 31st, and they'd have vigils. Uh, they, they would pray. They would remember. Uh, they would have parties. All kinds of practices come out of this. Now, to the people who are frustrated or, or don't want to celebrate Halloween, to their credit, the church has always combined celebrations with local customs um, and, and 
some people see that as a really wonderful way of evangelization. I mean, the church doesn't lose its practice and it doesn't lose its center of Jesus, but it also becomes good neighbors and celebrates with those who are celebrating and they're able to celebrate together even if they have different emphases. Uh, some people see it as maybe some kind of syncretism or, or, or a watering down of our religion and I'll let other people to debate that thing. Uh, I tend to think of it as the good neighbor uh, celebration thing. And so there are practices that come from other religions and other uh, cultures and so they'll talk about the Irish practice of uh, Samhain which celebrates the end of summer and all these kinds of things um but halloween comes from the eve of all saints day of all hollows day and christians gather to worship and remember and celebrate and have parties and so uh this is a practice that's beginning really uh getting really really centralized and universalized in the seven and eight hundreds i told you odilo of Cluny adds a third day and then now we get a triduum which is just a fancy word for a three-day celebration of, of the dead that uh, in the faith, uh, of vigils, of parties, of celebrations. And then we even get All Hallows Tide, which becomes an eight-day celebration and remembrance of the dead. And so even as this uh, episode is air- airing in many parts of the world for Christianity, we're going to be at All Hallows Tide, where we're remembering the dead of the faith. Um, and so, yeah, Halloween begins with vigils and parties. Um, uh, for the next day, which is All Saints Day, um, we get all kinds of practices that come out of this. There's a there's this idea of souling, s o u l i n g, where uh, the the poor, often poor men or even children, would wander around neighborhoods and they knock on doors to get these soul cakes in exchange for praying for the dead and the faith. And so we even see the beginnings of trick-or-treating here. They would carry lanterns um, uh, carved out of turnips. Um, and so we see even the beginnings of jack-o'-lanterns here. Um, there's this celebration or this thought called the Dance Macabre, which comes around around this time, that the dead are grateful to be remembered, and so they even have their own party, the dead, and then the living begin joining in on this, this this dance of the death, and and people begin dressing up into costumes that look like ghosts or or corpses um, as a way of of symbolically celebrating with the dead on the day of the dead. And so we see many of our own customs kind of coming out of these early Christian practices, or at least medieval Christian practices, um, and they kind of morph into today what we would have as some semblance of Halloween. Hmm. Yeah, and that really gives us a connection to and each of these different things, like you just said with these Uh, The kids were going around on the original All Souls Day. They're getting these, what they called soul cakes and going door to door. And then now we have a similar type thing and they're going up there and they're getting the candy. I even, I was even reading um, some stuff about, um, you know, often uh, there's lots of images in today's world that we could think for Halloween, but one classic one would be a skull. And I was even reading that originally um, it is thought that they used the skull to signify where Jesus died. Um, so that the, the place of the skull um, in the scriptures where he died, that that represented that, that imagery of the skull um, would represent the, the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus, obviously being the ultimate um, 
you know, sacrifice of the faith, if we want to say it that way or whatever, um, the ultimate, I don't want to say martyr necessarily, but obviously the, 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 the ultimate one that we would worship um, versus right. all yes. these other remembrances. Absolutely. And, and, and as we said too, I mean, churches became filled with bones as far when it came to pilgrimages, saints and all. I mean, it's creepy to us. It's spooky to us, but death was near uh, to people in these times. I mean, people lost people. They lost children. Uh, churches, I mean, the, the yards were cemeteries. You had to walk through cemeteries to get to, to get to your pew. Uh, in some ways, I feel like we have given up these Halloween practices or have, um, distance ourselves from them because it's just kind of grotesque but for most of christianity this was an everyday occurrence and so being able to announce victory over death through jesus's own death on the cross in the place of golgotha i i I just think it was a a more celebratory hopeful thing than um than then for us in modern day America, who has totally sanitized death, and you know we even get to—I mean, I'm going on a tangent now—but we buy our meat prepackaged in the grocery store. You know what I mean? Death is, is is very far from most of us, but was very close to these people and was yeah. a way for them to announce Jesus's victory over it for sure. Yeah, well, we certainly try to avoid it at all, and that's one thing that seems strange today about you know Halloween. I've seen some people. Um, making some posts about this or some blogs written about this, this idea that, you know, most of the year people try to avoid talking about death, try to act like, you know, oh, you know, everything's okay if if the loved one dies. They try to hold themselves together. And then one month out of the year leading up to Halloween, they celebrate in some ways. And it's like a fictionalized version. They, They still don't talk about the reality of death, but you see, you know, the gravestones in people's yards as as a decoration. And you see the skeletons in the tree or whatever you see all this stuff but it's not facing at the actual reality of death right yes absolutely oftentimes we we don't i mean we don't know how to grieve well in our culture we're very bad grievers in america um we don't know how to lament well um my sister-in-law passed away a few years ago um she was 26 and it has totally transformed our whole family It, it has uh, there's an absence, there's a hole there. Uh, we think about her daily, uh, hourly. Her name is on our hearts. And yet in our culture, sometimes it feels so taboo to bring up our own grief and sadness. And I know uh, this is not just, uh, I mean, this is many, many people. And what I think Halloween can be even for us today even if we don't want to celebrate it the same way Christians have always celebrated, if we do want to begin reincorporating some church calendar to our life and some important feasts and holidays, I think it can just be a time where we say the names of the people who, who we love so much that are gone and that it feels hard to bring up in everyday conversation because it's so heavy. We can speak their name, and it's a time and a place and a purpose to, to bring them up. Uh, to eat the foods that they loved, to visit their graves, and it be totally normal and acceptable and not weird or out of place, um, we get to we get to remember them, and we get to remember them in, in ways that we never have before. And and so for and for that, I'm very grateful for this practice that has come down to us by our uh, church fathers and mothers. Uh, that we get to we get to celebrate these people that are always on our hearts but are rarely on our lips here. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a totally different perspective than most people have taken the time to think about because it's, you know, it's similar to, I I guess, the origins of, say, Christmas are a lot easier to come to because we think of the birth of Jesus and we're told that story in the midst of all the craziness, but other holidays have fallen apart just the same way. You know, it's it's so... You know, Christmas with all the gifts and focus on getting a bunch of stuff has really nothing to do with the original. And and all of us could, you know, articulate the original. But with Halloween, it's a lot easier to pin the pin the blame. Oh, there's a bunch of people dressed as, you know, demons or vampires. And so this must be the devil's holiday. Oh, that's there's nothing good to it. <laughs> and yes. when we look yes. at this other aspect that you've described, what it does, uh, what, what was coming to my mind was a very similar holiday that is celebrated, the Day of the Dead with, with the Hispanic culture. Um, and, and yes. of course, many people were, thought the same thing about that. That's just very weird. Until many people saw the Pixar film in 2017, Coco, and then yes. everybody loves it. They're like, wow, this is an amazing idea. This is a great yes. thing that they do. <laughs> and so Absolutely. this is the same type of conversation right here where it's like, wow, you could – you know, use this for something so much more than what it's currently being used for. Yes. So, I mean, you hit all the nails on the head for me. Uh, obviously, there. So, what I what I want to say is that Halloween is an explicitly Christian uh, celebration. I mean, we really did. I mean, even if we borrowed things, even if we combined celebrations with other cultures, I mean, we have brought Halloween to the world. Um, and but. <laughs> there are always going to be people who, who take our celebrations and and turn them and use them for their own fun and revelry. And so with Halloween, we see people reveling in things that we would call evil. I mean, we really would say, you know, like, I don't know, zombies and witches and all these types of things and demons and devils. I mean, these are evil things. Right. Um, even though we can trace some of these even back to our history. I mean, there were Christians that dressed up like demons so that we can be reminded of the evil in our world and pronounce Jesus' judgment over them. But people are always going to kind of uh, uh, disturb our practices. But that doesn't mean we should give up on them. I don't give up on Christmas because there's a jolly, you know, jolly fat man who wants to sell me stuff to boost companies' fourth quarter profits. I mean, the materialism <laughs> of Christmas is 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 as evil, if not more evil, than people dressing up in uh, symbolically evil things, or even Easter. I'm I'm not going to give up on Easter because there's bunny and eggs and there's all these fertility ritual cultish things going on, uh, and I'm not going to give up on on Halloween and All Saints Day just because the culture has has made it into something else. I think there's a way of celebrating with our neighbors, and there's an incredible way our church can be good witnesses to our neighbors. Uh, but this is yeah. a this is a a holy day. In fact, it was one of the most holy days of obligation for churches and Christians and one of the few days you can get baptized during the year. And so I'm going to try to hold on to these practices for sure, for multiple reasons. One, we have amnesia as evangelicals. I think we need to remember the ancients. I think we need to remember the ancient faith. And what I'm going to do for my own practice of Halloween is I'm going to remember the saints. And I try to think of the saints daily. I'm not praying to them. I'm not praying for them. This is something that is outside of our faith. It's not. I'm not judging anybody else. It's just foreign to my own faith. But remembering the best of our faith, these are the people that the, that the Christians of yesterday have put forward as the best followers of Jesus. 
that needs to be celebrated and remembered for my own faith of what it means as a person following Jesus. And then it gives, as I said, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into too much, but just remembering those people who we love and who are Jesus. And it's a totally normal and acceptable day to bring up their names, to remember them, to say them, to teach our children about them. My children don't know my grandmother at all, but I lived with her most of my life. I need to pull out pictures and I need to bring out her best recipes and I need to remind them of this incredible woman who followed Jesus, who sacrificed so much so that I could have so much. Uh, and I need to be able to say her name and they need to be able to remember her even if they don't literally remember her. And so this is how I'm going to celebrate Halloween in my own life, uh, remembering the saints and, and remembering the loved ones who are near and dear to us. Wow. Yeah, I, I, um, I wanted to ask you um, about, uh, well, we over, we've already established uh, when we're thinking of the saints, the ones who have gone before, that we're not worshiping them. We've been talking Absolutely. a lot this month about worship. Yes. And uh, one thing we talked with Topher uh, Noise last week, we talked about these church calendar days, of which Halloween, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Day, this is all a part of that. And yes. so in this practice, in the remembering, um, all of us can surely see the, the importance of it. But would you say that there's a way that, that this can lead to worship, this practice of, of doing what we've been talking about? Uh, worship, of, worship of God, not of the people, yeah, of course. But is there a way that this leads back yeah. to God in all of this? I had uh, so many thoughts flood in my head just now. No, yeah. Uh, the, I, as you're talking about the calendar... I mean, this is something I'm I'm learning and have learned about in recent years. So I'm I'm new to this. Mm-hmm. But one of the compelling things to me <laughs> is that when the Israelites get out into the desert, I mean, these ex-slaves are in the middle of the desert on their way to the promised land. One of the first things God does for them is He gives them a new calendar, a new way of marking time, which includes things like Sabbath, but includes a whole list of feasts for them to celebrate. Why this is like, why I think this is important for free Methodists is because we're holiness people, and one of the things we want to do is make sure that the culture doesn't have a bigger voice in our lives than does Jesus. And so I love the church calendar as a way to practice time differently that is centered around our faith rather than uh, our national calendar and our national observances. Usually has to do with you know whatever's going on politically. And so the church calendar has been an incredible way for me to worship more regularly than Sunday morning, because there's all kinds of days that the church has put forward since the beginning of Christianity as important remembrances that highlight different aspects of the faith. And so I usually read about the saints that are listed for every single day as a part of my own devotional practice, just to not only remember their stories, but let it be an encouragement to me as someone who is walking after Jesus just like they did and learning about what that means in my own time and space just as they were. And so I think calendar can be wildly important um, as far as this this particular, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as this particular holiday of All Saints and All Souls Day, um, hmm. the way that it will draw me into worship is there's a way like Lent that it, calls me to remember my own mortality, but also uh, helps me not be so comfortable in this place, knowing that my 
true home and final destination is the resurrection of Jesus, my own resurrection, new creation. And so I'll be drawn into a, a, a heavenly worship in this season, thinking about my own second birth, my own true birthday, as the as the church calls it, um, looking for the day where I get to be with Jesus in a way that is full and final, um, rather than this uh, partial way that I am now. Yeah. So, and, and that's the nice thing about um, the, one thing about the, the, the church calendar, or the things that we think of, it's, there's a rhythm to um, the remembrance, the time of kind of um, lamenting, we think about like Good Friday, but then there are, you know, times of celebration with, you know, Easter, Sunday, yes. um, resurrection, all of these different things. And so, you know, n- not any of these are the same. There's a different, there's a reason to not just celebrate just Christmas and Easter, for example. All of these have importance. Um, right. And there are so many others. I mean, Halloween is is well known because, you know, everybody goes trick-or-treating and all that. But there are so many other things on the uh, church calendar, some of them we talked about with Topher last week, but that are there that nobody even really thinks twice about um, or even knows exist. And they could really, if put in this rhythm into your life, um, it creates this space that is important for, for people, for Christians who are who are trying to worship God better or, or you know align their lives more with the way of Jesus um, in these types of ways. So. Absolutely, and and just <clears throat> quickly, my own story uh, about how I, I like I said, I led worship and facilitated worship and helped with worship and planned worship uh, gatherings for for many years. And one of the things that kind of uh, I don't know stuck with me that made me think that maybe the church in America could be thinking about church calendar a little bit differently is uh, Pentecost is a huge holiday for most of Christianity, for most of our our time, and for most of the churches around the world. And yet in the American church, the the holidays that surround Pentecost, like Mother's Day, like Memorial Day, like Father's Day, often these get bigger mentions in our worship services than Pentecost does. And, And so that began pushing me to really think differently. Why aren't we celebrating the Christian holy days instead of the national holidays. And so that led me onto the track where I am, where um, this, this church calendar thing really has shaped my worship more regularly with greater um, difference and emphasis and variety. So um, if anything, maybe this whole thing is a pitch for church calendar, but <laughs> yeah. largely I just want to defend Halloween as a, uh, a Christian celebration, and and, I, and I'm and I'm too stubborn to let the world have it. They can practice however they want, but uh, this is a Christian celebration that has gone back a thousand years plus. And by golly, I'm gonna uh, use it for all it's worth. Yeah, it, it, it's with any of these things we're talking about. It's um, I was actually reading something on the church calendar. It was like an appendix at the back of my Bible, and it was saying something interesting that. You know, we have, like you've just said, arranged even the church around a lot of these national holidays, which is great. Say, take Father's Day. That's great. Uh, But all of these national holidays are the 4th of July, all these things. They're they're very um, short-lived. So it's like, well, we had the big cookout on the 4th of July. That was a lot of fun. But then the next day you go to work, you do the same old thing. 
And but these these church calendar things, they're very lasting. They're very meaningful past just a celebration for one day. If if yeah. taken as they were meant to be, they are going to be impactful, not just a short-lived fun one-day celebration. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, literally, yes. I and mean, then often they call them octaves. They're they're usually eight-day celebrations, but. Um, Obviously, spiritually, yes, if, if we can move into the spirit of, that our, our church parents set up these holidays for, if we can live in the spirit of these, I think they can enrich our lives beyond the one-day celebration and really draw us deeper into the faith for seasons. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm excited about... Uh to be able to share this with everybody and uh it's always good to be talking to you and i uh, hopefully we'll meet up soon again thanks for yeah, absolutely i guess my my encouragement my last word is like i said even though it's going to be probably aired on november 3rd yeah you'll still be in the octave of all hollows so i give you full permission to pull pictures out and to pull recipes out and talk about the people who are so meaningful in your life um this is this is the season. This is the season to remember uh, the saints who are with Jesus in a big way, and so um, celebrate boldly. And I hope everyone has a safe, uh, a safe uh, Halloween. Well, thank you so much, and we'll thank talk you. to you soon. Thank you, John. Have a great uh, Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Place. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idol.